Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for the Friday edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. And while the number of games dwindle as we near the end of the first round of the NHL playoffs, the drama quotient still pretty high. And Arpon Basu, once again, joining us from Montreal. I'm going to throw this out there, Arpon. It's I got to say, a little bit of lunch bag letdown when I look across the the, the scope of the eight first round series. Lot you know, lot of you know. Last night, the Islanders wax the Capitals, finish it off in in five games. Honestly, like, I, was there a team more disinterested in trying to stay alive than the Washington Capitals? I, I'm not sure if there was one. That was very disappointing. It was, vin- um, it was vintage I, Washington Capitals. Well, it's hard to skate when all your players have pulled the chute, right? There's all that drag, and so they're carrying yes. the parachutes around. And, and listen, credit credit to the New York Islanders. And oh, I, I, I waited to the very end because it was worth it for that millisecond that Barry Trotz, of course, the head coach of the New York Islanders, made the briefest of contacts with Todd Reardon, the man who replaced him behind the Washington bench. Not, not sure there was any <laughs> eye contact. And I, you know, might have, I don't know, like maybe it was being socially safe and stuff like that. But it was it was pretty brief. And he did not give the John Cooper fist pump of relief. Barry Trotz did I not think- do that. But inside, maybe? <laughs> I think I think Barry should have pointed to the camera and said and just and just waved hello to Ted Leonsis and said, "Yeah, you think it was a good idea to not give me that raise, buddy?" <laughs> uh, you know, it's a lot. I mean, that's such. It's such a. It was such great. That storyline was way more dramatic than that series. And uh, I, like, I don't know. Like, there's lots that go into it. That. And I've known Todd Reardon a long time. I think he's a really smart guy. I think, and he's he knows his stuff. But you know, you get bounced in the first round after winning the cup, and in his first year as head coach, of course, last year, double overtime game seven against the Carolina Hurricanes, and you know, lots of ups and downs, Stanley Cup hangover, all that kind of stuff. Um, and he, I know that the loss of Nick Backstrom for most of the series, after uh, I thought a, a pretty dirty um, Anders Lee hit. Uh, you know that's a that's a big loss, but this Caps team should have shown more. Uh, agree, disagree, Arpon? Yeah, I think Todd Reardon should have showed more. Frankly, I mean, you know, he needed to make like he got his ass handed to him by Barry Trotz. I mean, sorry to be crude, but I think that's that's what happened here. I mean, a system team just totally stifled and smothered the Washington Capitals, and Todd Reardon couldn't figure out a way to to free up his team. I mean, you know, except for one game, but. To me, yeah, it's disappointing. I mean, listen, it's, you know, I think this this does to some extent show what different motivational forces are at work in this bubble environment. You know, I mean, it's, I think the most interesting quote of these playoffs to me was Matt Barzell after one of the games, I forget which one, but it was a win. And him just saying, you know, we love it in the bubble. We're having a blast. We want to stick around as long as we can or something to that effect, you know? And I was like, whoa. I haven't heard anyone say that, <laughs> you know, so it was like, and it showed on the ice, you know, I mean, it, and it really, you know, that's what I, you heard Rick Tockett saying, like, it, you know, tonight it looked like some guys wanted to leave the bubble. You can tell who wants to stay. And this is a real thing, you know, with Tuka Rask yes. going back and whatever situation was going on with his family, you know, and, and power to him, frankly, if 
you got to go deal with stuff, go deal with stuff. But there are very, very unique motivational factors at work here. And it's impossible not to think that the Islanders embracing this gave them a bit of an edge in this series. Ultimately, it really looked like it. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you. So let me ask, so is that Todd Reardon's fault or is that some sort of you know, sort of character flaw. And, and I'll even take, I'll go back another one because listen, and I, I admit my own softness on this. I, I think the world of Rod Brindamore, I, I think he's a fabulous coach and I think he's yeah. coaching, you know, and he told, he and I had a conversation before the pause and basically the only co- team he wants to coach is the Carolina Hurricanes. But that team, like when, they, in losing a series that I hope, was, I hope he doesn't want to raise. <laughs> yeah, well, that's not going to happen in that organization, I don't think. But like the, to me, I looked at that team and I was like, oh, that's a team that wants to go home. And I was shocked by that. So I don't know. Is it yeah. a reflection on the coaching in the in the bubble? Like, can, you know, I assume those guys love Barry Trotz. Uh, they loved him in Washington. So to your point, maybe that Islander team is like, we want all of this for as long as we can stay, right? We want them to drag us out of the bubble. And there are teams, and, and frankly, I was surprised at Carolina, and I was surprised at Washington. Those two teams looked like, well, okay, I don't, you know, what time's our bus to the airport? Like, that was that was disappointing. So, I don't know, maybe, do we put too much weight on the coaches, or maybe this is the moment where coaches make a difference given these unique dynamics? Well, I think what this tells me is that, you know, I think a lot of I think general managers should be careful reading too much into what happens here. You know, it's 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 a highly unique situation and different players are going to react to it different ways. And that's yes, I like coaching is more important than it usually is in this in this context. But, you know, I look at the Calgary Flames and, you know, some people would be tempted to say that they should be making some some big changes here, and I, I just I just feel like teams need to just take a step back and be like, okay, like what what are the forces at play here, and will they normally be at play going forward? Like, will we have these these circumstances again? It's it's a really it's going to be a tough balancing act for a lot of general managers whose teams get knocked out of the playoffs not to look at what happened here as 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 a very definitive thing you know it's 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 cuz cuz i feel some of the some of the forces at play were a little less i guess revealing than they would be under a normal playoff circumstance right okay that's interesting you know because yeah i guess if you're to me the the other part of that equation though is did this really is this moment here really the 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 moment that reveals the true character of a team maybe and maybe that's too harsh maybe it maybe that's a completely specious argument and so the, if you're Brad Tre living in Calgary if you're Brian McClellan in Washington or Don Modell in Carolina you do have to take a step back and say you know what I'm really I'm pissed off at how we went out but I'm not going to let this define how I run my team does right, but on the but on, well, yeah, I, that's that's how I feel. But I, I think I think your point has some validity too, in the sense that a Stanley Cup is available here. Like they they are playing yeah. for a Stanley Cup, so that is the one thing that has not changed about this situation. Everything else is different. You know, four months off before the playoffs, or five months, uh, no fans, no travel, blah blah blah, all that stuff. The one constant is at the end of this tournament, someone's going to get to raise the Stanley Cup. Their names will be etched on that trophy just like any other year. 
and that is the ultimate goal. And so, so while I do feel that they, they need, there needs to be some reflection and there needs to be a, you know, a step back taken and, and, and try and take like a more of a macro view of, of your team. If they get eliminated, the one, one factor that does need to be taken into account is that, Hey, we had a chance to win a Stanley cup here and guys just mailed it in. So, you know, yeah. I think there are, there are a lot of things that need to be considered. All right, so this is a great segue to getting to the heart of the matter. The team that you cover, the Montreal Canadiens, appear not to be in any hurry to go home. And the Philadelphia yeah. Flyers, maybe they might have already been thinking, well, I wonder who we're going to play in the second round. And all of a sudden now look at the schedule and go, oh, my God, we have game six tonight. And this this Montreal team has clung to us like a – I'm trying to think of uh, what were those uh, – the freshwater, uh, you know, like there were little mollusks that got on the bottom of uh, of uh, boats and stuff and threatened the uh, water ecosystem in Ontario back in the day. Uh, anyway, they were like a mollusk that has attached themselves to the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, and, and this this series, it, it honestly, I thought it started pretty tepid. And I was like, oh, my God, this is this is pretty this is pretty pedestrian hockey. But, of course, the last couple of games. Uh, full of drama, emotion, and of course, in the off day after Game Five, we learned that Brendan Gallagher is gone for the series. I can only assume beyond, but with the fractured jaw, courtesy of Matt Niskanen, an uncalled play, sadly, uh, that netted ultimately a one-game suspension for Matt, Matt Niskanen. Um, let's start with that. The implications of that seem to be pretty severe for Montreal, given Gallagher's personality and his his role on the team uh certainly skill wise but also in terms of emotion what what do you think well let's be let's be honest here until that game until game five uh brendan gallagher had not really been the brendan gallagher that we expect he had not had a good playoffs up until that point and frankly the game before game four was one of the worst games i've ever seen him play and and he wound up getting benched for a big chunk of that third period um, with the Canadians down two goals and got you know and he was replaced on his line by by Jake Evans for a couple of shifts a, a rookie who has a handful of NHL games on his resume so you know I think that was Kirk Muller trying to spark a fire under him and it worked it worked for sure because the biggest factor in Montreal's game five victory was undoubtedly Brendan Gallagher but the Canadians have had you know, relative success in this postseason without Brendan Gallagher really being much of a factor in the in the Penguin series, he played pretty well and he he got chances and he put a lot of shots on goal and was and was a difference maker in the sense that, you know, he helped the Canadians play in the offensive zone like he usually does and 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 was an emotional leader. But uh, the Canadians have got this far largely without the contributions of Brendan Gallagher. So from that point of view. Maybe they can maybe they can withstand this, but it's 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 definitely a blow. It creates a big hole in their lineup and they're gonna have to someone someone who should not be playing this much in this type of a tournament will definitely be playing a lot of minutes against the Flyers tonight. Right. Well, and so listen, it, it, it's not knew that I have take issue with the Department of Player Safety with the NHL. That's a sort of a long standing thing and it goes back 
generations. You know, back to when Coley Campbell ran all of it, and it, it's it, it, it's it family is a, traditions. That's Scotty. a whole other. It's a, yeah, it's a whole <laughs> other thing that maybe needs to be looked at. But I, I found it disappointing that to me the simple thing was a you know you missed the call on the ice. It was not. It was not a pretty play. He broke the man's jaw with your cross check. Um, and I think you may have pointed out that even if he hadn't turned his head, he'd have been tr- cross checked in the back of the head. So maybe he just gets a concussion. Like, who knows? It was not a right. great play. It's not penalized. And then we know that Brendan Gallagher is out for the rest of the series. And instead of doing, for me, the simple thing, I'm gonna we're going to suspend Matt Niskanen for the balance of this series. And you could have even given him three games if you wanted to put a finite number on it. But you could have said, for the balance of this series, which covers, obviously, if the Habs win tonight and there is a Game 7, then Matt Niskanen doesn't get to play in that. But And you pointed this out on social media. Like, it, there is no justice. If the Habs win and there is a Game 7, Matt Niskanen, who's an important part of this Flyer team, I thought it was one of Chuck Fletcher's many under-the-radar, important moves in, in building what is a really a, a really promising, good, young Philadelphia team. Matt Niskan's a big part of that, and he gets to come back for Game 7. So I don't get that part of it. So let me start by saying, um, and this is always my disclaimer whenever discussing the Department of Player Safety, is that um, you know I have, a, I have a great deal of respect for the people who decide to do this job because no one in their right mind should want to do it because you're never going to make everyone happy and everyone, you know, half the people who follow this league will always be angry at you which I think is is probably the case right now. Um, having said that, I did decide to look if there was, you know, some sort of precedent or some sort of reasoning behind why Matt Niskin would only get one game in this situation. And frankly, it's, it's not all that surprising when you look at the history of the Department of Player Safety because, you know, over the last five years, uh, this, is, this, Matt, this suspension is the 19th postseason suspension that's been given out by the Department of Player Safety. Um, of those 19, 15 have been for one game. And the four exceptions are guys who uh, the department had been after um, on numerous occasions. You know, two of them were Nazem Kadri. Uh, one was Tom Wilson and the other was Brooks Orpik. So, so guys that, that were on, you know, the department's list, if you will, uh, are the ones who, who got the multi-game suspensions. Otherwise, the other 15 and, and you know, the, a list that includes several important names, uh, Drew Doughty, Joe Thorne, others, uh, all got one game pretty much no matter what they did. So I think that's more or less a fallback option for the department in, in terms of the postseason, in terms of playoffs. Um, the thinking being there, I imagine, again, that you know we often hear it that one playoff game equals two regular season games. Uh, I, I think that might be worth taking a look at in terms of you know is that really all that true or fair or or you know why why does the standard change in the playoffs uh compared to the regular season the other thing is that the the department mentioned um in in you know in delivering its ruling uh that Diskinen has only been fined once in his 949 game nhl career the way the video always says uh, and that's true. However, if you look at the 2017 playoffs when Niskanen was with the Washington Capitals in the second round when they were facing their nemesis, the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, in game three of that game of that series, uh, Niskanen also delivered a cross-check to the face of not just anyone but Sidney Crosby. And, and Crosby missed the remainder of game three and all of game four. Um, and, and, you know, the Capitals wound up 
winning game three, but the Penguins, to their credit, won game four without Sidney Crosby. The thing is, is that Niskanen played 25 minutes in game four. He did not miss game four. He missed the rest of game three the way Crosby did. He was given a five-minute major and a game misconduct, and I suppose the Department of Player Safety determined that uh, that, that was enough. And so I wonder what would have happened had the, the official actually called this penalty uh, on, on for the cross-check to Brandon Gallagher. Would that have led the Department of Player Safety to feel like enough had been done? Is this just a makeup call in a sense? Is this a way to make up for the fact that the on-ice official missed it? I don't know, but I think there's I think there's there's something to be examined here in terms of the Department of Player Safety's normal pattern of behavior of just giving one game as more or less a standard suspension. Um, and maybe they need to look at that. Well, I couldn't agree more, Arpon, and uh, it, it is going to be fascinating to see how things play out in Game 6, whether we have a Game 7, whether you know the one-game departure for Matt Niskanen has a role in, in how this all plays out and, and uh, how this series ends up. Uh, but uh, as always, you should be reading Arpon Basu's Habs coverage at The Athletic Montreal and listen to his fine podcast, Athletic Support. That's a treat. Honestly, one of the best podcast names in the athletic universe, The Athletic Support with Mark Antoine Godin. And follow Arpon at Arpon Basu. And when we come back, we're going west to one of the zaniest outcomes of the first round with Dallas and Calgary and our Sean Shapiro. So don't go away. We will be right back. I love my high student loan payment, said no one ever. You should check to see if refinancing with Ernest could help you lower your monthly payments. Checking takes just two minutes. And if you've been making the same monthly payment on your student loans for the last couple of years, odds are you could reduce your payment and save by refinancing with Ernest. Even if you've refinanced before, with today's low-rate environment, most people could save by refinancing again. And now you can get a $100 cash bonus when you refinance a student loan with Ernest.com slash two-man. Once again, you get a $100 cash bonus when you refi your student loan at earnest.com slash two-man. Not available in all states, so visit earnest.com slash two-man for more details. Terms and AMP conditions apply. Earnest student loan refinance loans are made by Earnest Operations, LLC, NMLS, number 1204917. California Financing Law License Number 6054788, 303 2nd Street, Suite 401N, San Francisco, California 94107. Visit earnest.com licenses for a full list of licensed states. All right, Sean, we're we're not off the record because we're recording a podcast obviously, but it's okay it's okay if you come clean and admit that you did go to bed when it was 3 nothing Calgary and said screw this, I'm going to get some sleep cuz I got to get ready for game 7 and then woke up and found that the Dallas Stars had in fact scored seven unanswered goals to advance to the second round of the playoffs. It's okay if that happens. <laughs> 
I will say, um, <laughs> sleep related, Scott, it wasn't, uh, you guys are lucky that the dog woke me up about 20 minutes ago because <laughs> it was my, my lovely wife, uh, even though she works from home still, uh, this morning allowed me to sleep in, went, uh, got our, got our two year old daughter who made the wonderful drum roll appearance, I believe a Last week ago time, or so. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, so she's upstairs watching Sesame street in mom's office, but you guys are very lucky that the, uh, the dog about 20 minutes ago decided she, the dog wanted breakfast. So I'm really only awake because the dog woke me up and I saved Jeff a lot of grief of having to track me down. So thank the dog. Um, I am awake now. But yes, I did. I was up for the whole hockey game. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is what you are paid to do. So that's a good sign, too. But honestly, like the whole, you know, I think when you and I spoke, um, so my memory serves that we were about to go into back to back games. Early in the series, flames were up, and it, it really, I think we talked about, you know, sort of a referendum for both teams in this series about, you know, the character of the team and the, you know, how it was built and who was going to perform or rise to the occasion. Uh, uh, what are you? What are your overall impressions of this Dallas Stars team, given, you know, how they responded in this series and specifically how they responded in game? six where you know as we noted the flames came out and did exactly what they needed to do they got to anton kadovan early uh, built a three nothing lead and uh, like it uh, to me it's that's a remarkable that's a remarkable performance for a team i you know who hasn't had a lot of these kinds of remarkable playoff moments in recent history yeah um i think one of the things last night we saw was the cement it was it was the cementing of the fat of this fact and a fact that i think the rest of the world is finally starting to come to realize but the dallas stars are miro heishkinen's team the dallas stars have moved into the miro heishkinen era um he's 21 years old he but and and I think for so long, everyone, the big narrative about the stars every time going, and this isn't even, this isn't a shot at anyone else. This isn't saying that, but for so long, it's been Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn's stars or John Klingberg's stars. Or last night was the public cementation that this team goes as Miro Heishkinen goes. And on a national scale, anyone who didn't realize how good he was, we're seeing that. I mean, I actually, I, I'm, I, Saad Youssef, who is our general assignment guy out in Dallas, who helps out with a ton of star stuff, I texted him during the first intermission last night. Just texted him. I'm not even making this up. I have the text. I'll even send it to you, Scotty. I texted him <laughs> when it was 3-1 at the end of the first intermission and said, I, they're going to win this game because of Heishkinen. It was a weird gut feeling when they were down 3-1. And then they went in 1-7-3. Denis Gurionov scored four goals. But last night was... This is Miro Heishkinen's team. The Dallas Stars go as Miro Heishkinen is. And if you didn't realize how good this kid was, people should now. Now, maybe some missed it because the game went until 1.30 in the morning or whatever it was on the East Coast. Um, but he he has cemented that he isn't just a great... He, he isn't just... I even wrote this this morning. I have no issue saying this. He was the best player in the first round of, of, of the bubble. He was not the best young player, not the best defenseman, the best player. You go, He's going into the second round against Colorado where you have the top two scorers in the playoffs so far going to head-to-head in Nathan McKinnon and Miro Heishkinen. This kid is the, is, is the real deal, and everyone should be paying attention to the hockey world. That's what last night did. And then the other thing that last night did, too, it was just a complete exclamation point from who and what Denis Gurionov is because 
Denis Gurionov was kind of the maligned pick. He was kind of the draft pick where people said, oh, well, he was taken before Matt Barzell. He was taken before Kyle Connor. He was the draft pick that Jim Nill really messed up. And last night, uh, he scores four goals in, an, in, a, in, a, in a game to close out a series. He led the Stars with 20 goals this series. This team has moved into the era now where Heishkinen is their leader, Gurionov is their goal scorer, and this team is going to go as far as these young guys take them. I think it's such a cool dynamic, and uh, there are just a couple things to unpack here, is that um, in some ways, I wonder, is you know, as this second-round series against Colorado uh, un- unfolds, and I- I'm fascinated by by a lot of it because you've got Kale McCarr and Mira Haskinen and that great dynamic. And I'm, I'm with you. I'm not, you know, we've, we've sort of been consumed with good reason. Quinn Hughes, Kale McCarr, um, you know, Haskinen's maybe a little bit under the radar here. He's, he's not anymore. And, and both those guys are going to be pivotal to who moves on to a Western conference final. I think that's fair to say. Um, but I wonder if it's also maybe this is the perfect dynamic for Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan, who, you know, we know the history, a lot of, you know, a lot of disappointment, a lot of criticism, you know, some of the criticism's been warranted, you know, maybe they felt like it's been piling on. But in some ways, let me ask it this way. Do you feel that this allows them maybe to to settle into a lane that is best for them at this stage of their respective careers? I think it does for Ben. I think I think I think the stars are in a spot where they need Jamie Ben to be able to to go into that leadership spot where he can lead by example with physicality and things along those lines, but not have the burden of expectation that he needs to score every night. Um, I do think this takes some pressure off Tyler Sagan, but I think the stars still need the best version of Tyler Sagan if they're going to have success in, in advance. I think there's too much expecta- There's too much needed from Sagan when you're in year one of an eight-year extension. And I think the good thing about Sagan is you look at that series and you look at the hit posts and the miss nets here and there, and I think Sagan was actually better than his numbers showed. Um, but I, but I, I do think you're right on, on this is the this allows for a good transition for Ben where it allows him to still be that leader. It allows him to still be kind of a key cog of the team, but no longer being no longer having to put the team on his back or having people expect the team to put on his back. But I think we still have to hold higher expectations for Tyler Sagan. Um, and maybe if his shot doesn't hit the corner of the bar and the post and goes in earlier in this series and he misses and he doesn't miss the kind of gaping net as well, we're talking about he's one of the reasons they won this series. So I think it's kind of those two get lumped together so much, Ben and Sagan, and maybe we should we need we need to separate them here a little bit when discussing this. Yeah. All right. Two things before we close. I, I thought really fascinating comments from interim coach Rick Bonus. After the game, you know, talking about life in the bubble and how it is so dramatically different than anything anyone has gone through before, whether it's the players or the coaches or whatever. And I wonder what you took from that and and maybe why it was important to have him say that, even though they had just advanced to the second round. One of the things that uh, I've always respected, kind of since he even was an assistant coach, but I've always I've always respected Rick Bonus as a person and as a human being. Whether you, whether you think his decisions about who should play or time on ice or whatever, that's that's fine. You can debate that. But 
since he's become the head coach and getting to see more and more how he deals with players as human beings, I've grown, I've gained so much respect for Rick Bonus. And not that I didn't have it, I just didn't know Rick on this level. It's something that you get to know him a little bit more once he becomes the head coach because you see him on a daily basis. But seeing how he dealt with the Stephen Johns situation during the season where he treated him like a human being and he told Stephen Johns he was a person. He didn't have to worry about playing again. He was just wor- he was only worried about getting Stephen Johns the human back when he was dealing with his terrible post-traumatic headaches. Seeing how last night, after this big win, he's not afraid to talk about, hey, there are human beings here going through kind of a mental struggle. And while that we're in a bubble and we're winning hockey games, it's not... It's it's not just it's not just a video game plugged in. He's coaching humans, and I think I think I've people need to really respect what Rick Bonus does. And I think you go back to when the Stars were one seven, where uh, when Jim Montgomery was fired. Rick Bonus was they needed him in that human element to get through that. And I think it was important that Rick Bonus said that last night because I think it brings important perspective because. One of the things that we're go- it's going to happen, and whether it's written by it's, it's things that are going to be written, is how the teams that advance and win this whole thing. It's going to be written about how they were emotionally stronger or t- closer as a team, and everything like that. And I don't think that's fair to all the other teams because I think this entire bubble is tough. Being away from families is tough. I think we saw Arizona is the perfect example of it. You go down two one, and you're missing your family. And what's the point in being there right now when? When you know you're going to get rolled by Colorado and by losing two games, it's closer to seeing your family. You've never dealt with that before. And so I think it was really important for Rick to, to bring that up, kind of, well, kind of unprompted, because he was just asked about, hey, what happened during a, a timeout when it was 3 nothing, And for him to kind of keep bringing that into the public spectrum, hey, we got people in a bubble. We got people who are away from their families, people who are, while they're playing hockey, this isn't, this isn't just like a vacation. This is... This this is you're away from the comforts of home. You're not. We've the stars, for example, have uh, six or seven players with young children. You've got people who, by winning this game, yes, they're advancing in the playoffs, but they guaranteed themselves at least another two weeks away from their kids, maybe even more. So it is. Uh, I give Rick Bonus a ton of credit for keeping that in the conversation because I think we need to not forget that as this bubble moves forward that. There are humans in the bubble, and this isn't just a video game plug-in where, where it's, uh, we, we've kind of scrubbed it clean of COVID, but that doesn't mean we've scrubbed it clean of, of emotions and, and, and mental health. Yeah, that's very well said, my friend. That's excellent. And now, so I'm going to leave you now with a very pedestrian hockey question, but one of the people <laughs> that we haven't seen, uh, at least for a few days now, is Ben Bishop. And you know, Anton Kudobin, uh, you know, has come in and filled in admirably, you know, got the start even when Ben Bishop was backing him up. But clearly there's something amiss with Ben Bishop, Jake Ottinger backing up last night. Uh, in fact, I thought for a moment that maybe Jake Ottinger would get um, get the call just to give uh, Kudobin a bit of a break, and it didn't happen that way. And obviously, if once again, Rick Bonus knows more than I do, apparently, about coaching. Um, but I wonder, any sense on Ben Bishop and maybe how important, you know, his ability to get back to um, being not what are they what do they call it un not unfit to play so fit to play will be as they move forward in this series against Colorado yeah I mean it, I, it's hard to tell um because we can't watch practice and I can't tell you oh he's he's looked like this he's looked like this or that in practice or or he's his lateral movement has looked good because I can't tell you anything because I don't yeah, know what he's looked like in practice which is kind of one of the 
the frustrating things about all of this. But um, I think one of the, my main takeaways from this is Ben Bishop, who was also unfit to play in two games of the round robin, only was fit for one game to play of the actual first round. We go back to what we saw in training camp here down here in Frisco, and they managed his workload. And so he is clearly dealing with something that's nagging, whether it's a soft tissue or something, something that is the type of thing where it's not like a, uh, it's not the type of injury where it's, it's a bone injury. It's the type of injury that kind of with, with activity probably gets stressed more. And so he's probably dealing with something like that. And the stars have an amazing luxury that they didn't have to rush him back with Anton Hudobin. And as good as Anton Hudobin was during the regular season, I didn't know if you don't know if you have the luxury of that true one B until it actually happens in the playoffs, right? Like it is one thing to say, Hey, you've got Anton Hudobin. He led the league in the save percentage. And that's great. But it's another thing to actually to wait until he has his actual first real playoff start because well, as much as I the Stars said they were confident in Anton Hudobin, this playoff series proved they could be confident in Anton Hudobin in a playoff series, and they don't have to work, r- worry about rushing Ben Bishop back. And while they don't move the puck as well with Anton Hudobin because he's not as good as a puck handler, he is still competent as a playoff goalie. It was it was it was very good, especially last night. He was even when he went down from three nothing, and then was really good after that point. Um, the other thing, just obviously for Anton Hudobin, you talk about seizing an opportunity not just to play these games and win his first playoff series. He's a UFA this summer. I know everyone talks about Robin Leonard, Jacob Markstrom are going to define the market, but Anton Hudobin is going to make a lot of money because of this playoff series. It's fascinating to see. And never a dull moment with the Dallas Stars, as you and I both know, but should always be catching up on Stars coverage with Sean at The Athletic DFW and follow Sean at Sean Shapiro on Twitter. And they should also, we've got a little bit of break in the day-long hockey schedule now as we get towards the end of the first round. So why don't you check out uh, Bob McElligot, who joins Aaron Portsline to recap the Columbus Blue Jackets emotional season came to a close earlier this week against Tampa on front and nationwide at The Athletic. And how about you join us on Monday morning because we will recap what happened over the weekend and set up the second round of the NHL playoffs on Two Man Advantage. You should also check out our comment section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple and click on www.theathletic.com slash Two Man Advantage to get 40% off your subscription. Thanks very much, and uh, let's catch up first thing Monday morning. Monday morning.